It's time to start the show, guys. You've got John here. No driving gloves. I guess you knew the name of the podcast. We have Derek and Sean Yoder's joining us tonight because Will, I believe, is headed to California for the Grand National Roadster Show, or maybe that's next week. Either whatever. He's playing with that uh, naked Impala to getting it ready for the show. We talked about it a little bit last week on uh, the screwed up episode that I put out. I'm sorry if you got two downloads of it. I don't know what happened. The first download was missing about 30, 40 minutes of show. So I had to quickly re-edit and re-upload. So some of you got it twice. I apologize. Some of you got it once. Um, either way, it helps our numbers. But <laughs> How's everybody doing tonight? Now that I'm home, great. It has been one of those weeks, and it's only Wednesday. So yay. It's Wednesday? I think it's Wednesday. Is it Wednesday? I could be wrong. I <laughs> hope it is. But doing great, John. Doing great. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. I think Wednesday drug a little bit for me, a little bit long in the afternoon, but uh, a little bit of excitement here, a little bit of excitement there. Uh, hey, John, do you know what day it is? It's home day. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> of course I did it. Don't do it. You know what day it is? And this episode brought to you by a insurance company that employs a camel and a gecko. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Mike, 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 Mike. So we're in the midst of uh, January. January is a great barometer for the collector car hobby, and that's what we're supposed to talk about on this show. So today we're going to talk about making cake. But um, we're sitting here, we're recording on the 15th of January. We decided to kind of do an auction episode. Uh, we talked about maybe doing a uh, recording live and watching some cars go over the block and predicting and talking about them and things like that. Um, unfor- well, say unfortunately or fortunately, because it's not going to make us look like idiots if we get the numbers wrong, we're going to let Derek explain why we can't really predict values on this show. I used to fall into the same category. Uh, of course, I don't anymore, but Derek does, so we're respecting him on that. But Derek, you want to give a quick little rundown on why we can't? We're not going to discuss values of the cars that we're predicting. If the cars have already sold, we might give some numbers out. Uh, before I do that, can I go back to you're saying you're respecting me on this show for once? Is that what I just heard? Uh, yes, I heard wow. it, and it's recorded. Awesome. Yeah. All right. For once. So, yeah. So we, of course, as John said, we talked about possibly doing some other things with this show. But I, I you know, it, and John said he's worked in the museum world, nonprofit, and um, one of the things that any of us as nonprofit uh, employees, especially those in museums that deal with collections. Uh, we have to be very careful uh, talking about valuations of of anything, but specifically in the world of collectibles that we respectively deal in in our museum. So, in my case, being an automotive in an automotive museum, um, I, I actually am not allowed to give uh, any type of appraisals or valuations on vehicles. I mean, most specifically Corvettes right now, but for safety's sake, I stay away from all of vehicles. Um, 
and it, it's due to nonprofit tax law. Uh, back in really in the 1970s and 80s, a number of museums got in trouble for uh, basically giving inflated appraisals that would lead to donors uh, donating their objects to museums for the inflated, basically, tax write-off that they would get and for that donation, which kind of gets into, you know, tax fraud. Uh, and the IRS basically said, all right, this is over. Uh, we got we to gotta change this and basically wrote laws that say that any item being donated to a nonprofit institution has to have a third party independent appraisal and the museum staff can in no way be involved with that. And they should not be involved in the valuation of uh, historic objects, again, whatever they deal with, um, due to basically the oper or the appearance of trying to inflate uh, the market so people will get a better tax write-off for donations. It's tax law. It's long. It's boring. That's the best way I'm going to wrap it up. Um, so that's why, as John says, we're, we're I, especially I tonight, will not be talking about any type of valuation estimates or guesstimates on what something might sell for. So it's nice to enlighten the listeners a little bit on that. Um, I'm going to get shift gears a little bit. And since we're getting into this, uh, this is an advice for the auction companies. If you have an auction site and you are listing cars, slot machines, bars, carousels, silverware, cash registers. I don't care. Every auction site should have one, or every auction site should be searchable by lot number. So I can put in lot number 110, and I can see what my buddy told me. Hey, check out lot number 110. Two, you need to at least have some sort of printable section where I get a picture of the car and a description because when I go to auctions I like to kind of create my own catalog with my own notes yes you send out a catalog blah 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 it's a pretty book they cost 50 bucks I don't like to write in it I like to do notes and stuff on my computer and have everything kind of digitally or PDF uh, that's just a personal observation by me but um, in setting up and prepping for this tonight, Bonhams and RM, very respectable. I could search by lot number. Um, who was it that I got to uh, Gooding? Couldn't p print, couldn't do a PDF, couldn't search by lot number. Um, sorry, I mean, I might go across the street to somebody else's auctions. I mean, we've got, I've got one, two, three, four, five auction houses pulled up on my computer, and I think um, the guys have another one or two, so there's a lot of auctions going on, so that's just my personal observation. Anybody ha have a editorial to do in, in relation to auctions, or do we just want to jump in and... Uh, well, actually, John, if I, I can add one thing to to the um, horrible explanation I just tried to give, <laughs> I, I can give a, a pop culture reference that might help um, some of our listeners if they ever watched Pawn Stars. Um, there, they occasionally would call in 
um, I don't remember his name, but a gentleman from one of the museums um, there in the Las Vegas area. He was he had the big beard and the the kind the, of the beard of knowledge. Yeah, and and the I don't remember what type of hat it was that he always wears signature hat. Uh, but he always on that show made reference to the fact that he could not give valuation. They only brought him in to basically verify whether something was real or, you know, a, a fake. Uh, that would be probably the, the best pop culture reference I could give to what we were talking about. I've got nothing. You guys have lived in this world and I have not lived in this world, but I have a lot of cars chosen to talk about, but that's, that's all I have to, to give for this. Well, jump in. Let's uh, talk about a car. I can't remember. Is Barrett Jackson searchable by a uh, lot number? I don't know. I, even if it was, it wouldn't matter because it's not like I'm talking to someone who's like, go search lot number 141. Well, or you know whatever it is, but I I'm literally just scrolling through the master list and Barrett Jackson Scott sales going on right now and there. Here's one thing about auctions that have always blown my mind, specifically uh, Barrett and Russo and Steel, and I've got, there's a couple other ones out there that have always blown my mind about what the cars that are selling at these auctions actually bring. And I know, Derek, you can't talk about valuation, but you can talk about actual prices vehicles are, have been, are being sold for. And there's some stuff going at Barrett anyway. And I think, John, you've looked up some other auctions. There's some stuff being sold right now for way less money than I would have ever thought it would be sold for. Um, specifically at Barrett in, in Scottsdale, I found... It is a – let's see here. I'm going to pull it up. It is a 1998 F-150 pre-runner pickup truck, street legal pre-runner, um, fully built. I mean like really nice pre-runner style suspension. Uh, it's got the bash bars in the front and all of your, your skid plates. And I mean it is a it is a fully built – take this to Baja – punish it, beat it to death, pickup truck, um, sold for no reserve on Monday at Barrett Jackson Scottsdale for $10,450. I'm trying to wrap my brain around that. And I can't is, I mean, literally one corner's worth of suspension on this truck when it was new was $10,000. I just I don't understand like it, there's there's stuff being sold so cheap right now and I think you have some insight on that John or and you might have some on it on it Derek as well but how in the world could that truck sell for that I just I don't get it Monday really is that <laughs> is that really what it is yep the money doesn't get there until Thursday or Friday. I mean, these people actually, believe it or not, a lot of these people actually do work. Yeah, but, I mean, it's and, uh, a lot and, of people that have the money can can basically say, I'm going to Barrett. And, and Barrett has structured their auction now because they became known for all these six-figure cars. I mean, I'm watching their little scroll thing now, and you're talking Heritage GTs and um, 918s and 
um, you know, Paul Walker's collection and, you know, just the vault thing here with all these street rods. Because all these six-figure, seven-figure cars, that's what Barrett-Jackson became known as, and they wanted to attract people like you and I that have maybe a five-figure budget. So they've backed the, the week off, but we have to take Monday off or Tuesday off and go to the, go to Barrett-Jackson. But mon- Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at Barrett-Jackson have become kind of the bargain days. You go there and you're going to see stuff sell for $5,000, $6,000, and you can actually go home with something. And you can say you bought something at Barrett-Jackson, which for some crazy reason is notable. I mean, you're not going to be on TV. Well, you might be now since some of these channels are nothing but nonstop auction coverage. But Yeah, I know. I mean, on, on uh, like, paper channels, like on Prime, I've got Barrett coverage. I think it's on Prime. It's literally 24-7. It's it's crazy. It's it's just everything Barrett Jackson. It's absolutely nuts. But going back to this Monday Tuesday thing, I I guess because I don't come from the auction world, I always associated Barrett Jackson as you go there it, and exactly what you said, John. You go there because you want people to come up and go. That's a beautiful car. Where'd you get it? I bought this at Barrett Jackson, and you and you're willing to pay a premium for that, which I always thought was bonkers it made no sense to me whatsoever but i'm looking at this pre-runner pickup truck that probably cost bare minimum 80 grand to build back in the 90s and wishing i had known about it because i would have i would have given a lung for this truck this is it's entirely too cool for 10 grand well i've always said in my restoration careers that if you can get 20 to 25 cents on the dollar you really won the game uh, when it came to a restoration or a custom build. I mean, uh, you haven't seen it yet, but the cars Zara just got, we paid, um, I want to say, a, a quarter of what that car, probably even 20% of what that car cost to buy and build, <laughs> you know, just because it's a couple years old and, um, it's kind of, you know, an, an interest, and it's the unfortunately the way that works. When you build something, um, you know, the I can kind of say what you're or get what you're saying about pre runners because this off road overland type experience is almost becoming the Porsche of 2019, 2020, and I think you'll see a big explosion later this year in 2021 of all these people doing these overlander cars where you can do a little bit of out, off-roading and, you know, pretend you're, um, was it Ivan Stewart, the uh, old off-roader from the bottom? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, and, and be able to play that game and actually then camp out in the desert. So, And drive it back and forth to work if you want to. That's I've always wanted a pre-runner style something, but I've never really been a truck person. But when I see this selling for $10,450 and it looks new, I mean, it looks brand new. I'm like, yeah, I'll buy that. I'll buy that in a heartbeat. Those pre-runners are just too tall. Yeah, but I think the other thing too, John, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, if I recall correctly, Barrett Jackson, the, you know, the auctions, and I think you were there 
earlier on in their auction, you know, I, I, when I, they were starting up, you were there, but it was a much shorter auction with a lot less cars. It yeah. didn't run for what are they up to now? Almost like nine or 10 days of auctions. I mean, it's, you're also like, yeah, one of the things is I think you're getting the pool of vehicles so stretched out and they're just trying to fill the days that they're not always bringing in the cars that are, you know, the best and have the hype. And like John said, you know, they're, they're pushing the, the big cars off to Friday or Saturday so that they get the big money there. But I think it's also the fact that it's growing so big it's the the pool of cars is being stretched out and you're getting low dollar cars in and number two i also starting to think that the hype of barrett jackson and oh i bought a car at barrett jackson is wearing off now and to go to your point the auction this year is running january 11th through 19th uh when i interned for barrett jackson it was a thursday friday saturday sunday affair and to be honest, I don't know how those guys do it because when I interned for them, um, I drove from McPherson, Kansas to Scottsdale, got in at like 2 in the morning and called Drew, who now runs Russo Steel, who was going to be my supervisor, because I was told, call, and he, and he was there working. And he said, can you come in? <laughs> and I said, can I get a wow. couple hours sleep? And uh, he said, yeah, can you be here at 5? <laughs> and my hotel was 45 minutes from the auction ground, so... I grabbed a little bit of shut-eye, got there at 5, and I think I got home at midnight that night and was back at, like, 4 in the morning, and and that's the way it ran. And the guy, you know, Drew kind of oversaw me and took care of me as Barrett-Jackson management, but I worked under a gentleman, and unfortunately I can't remember his name, and he, he had done it for years. He was in charge of all of the people that were running vehicles, and for the couple of days prior to Barrett-Jackson because I got in and helped do some of the check-in and things like that. Um, he he, he, he kind of supervised me, and then he, you know, he would assign me to some cars to drive over the block and things. And he would, that was his vacation. He'd take a week off of his job. He worked for the city of Phoenix or city of Scottsdale, and I can't remember what department. But he would take his vacation or a week of his vacation to go to Barrett-Jackson to work for Craig Jackson and be around all of these cars. And I think Craig that year gave him like a Testarossa to drive. Um, so it, it's, it's an interesting experience. It has definitely grown. I mean, when I was out there, it was like around 2000, uh, doing my internship, there were only two, maybe three auctions. And like I said, now we've got six going on and they overlap and they're on top of each other. And, there, you know, there's just a lot of things going on and there is only so much money to be spread around. And, the you know, the economy has been great the last few years. And um, I think there's been a lot of money to spread around. And that's the other thing I would say with this year is I think we're being a little bit tighter with our... Uh, um, wallets. I would, I would somewhat agree with the tighter with the, with our wallets, but I do have a few more pickup trucks, just because I wanted a cross section of pickup truck semi utility vehicles, just to see where the the sold price, you know, where the gavel hit 
And so we, we start with that 96 F-150 pre-runner that sold for 10450 And then we move on to a 1983 Subaru Brat that sold for $13,200. And then we move on to a, they literally called it a Marty McFly lookalike 88 Toyota SR5 pickup truck that sold for $21,450. This is a basic bottom-of-the-line SR5 Toyota pickup truck that sold for $21,450. And then we move on to a 47 Crosley pickup truck that sold for $26,400. And then last but not least, actually, no, I've got two more. I have a 62 Corvair pickup truck it sold for $77,000. And I understand the Corvette pickup truck is very rare, but holy crap, $77,000 for a Corvair. Anything in my mind is insane. Is that and then, stock? Yeah. Well, it's restored. Right, but it's not hot rotted? No. No. No, it's, it is a, it's a very nice restoration. At least it looks like a very nice restoration from the picks. Hard to tell, but... It looks like it was done well, but 77 G's for a Corvair pickup. And then the one that really blows my mind, because I, let me go back and reference the 1996 F-150 pre-runner, properly built, ready-to-go Pommel Baja that sold for $10,450. Right now, I am looking at a 1968 Ford Econoline van that is done up as the mystery machine. Now, it's done well. The interior, everything looks like the cartoon. It it's done incredibly well. It sold for fifty nine thousand four hundred dollars. It's a sixty eight Econo line. If you gold plated it and put diamonds in the interior, it still wouldn't be a fifty nine thousand dollar vehicle. I just well, wait, I, I think that might say something interesting to the generations that are getting interested in vehicles and the auctions and have money because one of the big things we talk about on the show occasionally is people put their money where their memories are you know so you know you always have that dream car poster hanging on your wall a lot of people you know and i don't say this because i've you know worked the corvette museum or anything like that but a lot of people have that dream poster of a corvette on their wall and when they get enough money to buy that dream car, they'll go buy it. Yeah, you know, and, and yeah, right now it's it's mostly C4s, you know, the fourth generation Corvette that people in my generation, you know, the, the generation that's coming into some disposable income are buying. But guess what? That's the same generation that Scooby-Doo was big. I mean, I, Scooby-Doo was one of my favorite cartoons. So I almost think that might speak to the fact that somebody out there is a huge Scooby-Doo fan. They have the disposable income, and they wanted that mystery machine. It would have to be ludicrous levels of disposable income because looking at this thing is like it's a 68 Econo line painted blue with a little bit of vinyl on the outside of it. It's really – you don't I, I don't look at that and go, oh, man, that reminds me of the cartoon and – I love Scooby-Doo so much and re-raggy and all that. It's like, what? Let me take your Scooby-Doo van. Let me take your Toyota SR5 Back to the Future lookalike. 
And uh, just scrolling through Barrett, they've also got a um, Lightning McQueen RX-8 and things like, you know, some things like that. Yeah, which uh, is the wrong, it's the wrong car. Um, <laughs> and, and then you're talking um, your Subaru Brat, and we have the Radwood factor. And exactly what Derek said, 80s and 90s cars are becoming hotter. Um, if you look at uh, Hagerty's list that they just put out last December of like the 20 hottest cars to buy, you can look at it and you go, yeah, I've seen a lot of movement on those, especially if you're a Bring a Trailer fan and you stock Bring a Trailer daily. Uh, those numbers are almost what Barrett Jackson used to be. Some of those Bring a Trailer numbers are crazy. Just out of curiosity, where does the 84-190E Mercedes rank on that list? <laughs> well... It all depends on how you market it or you market it, but we, but it, you're you're not dealing with a celebrity car. Um, there was a on Instagram, uh, Matt DeAndrea, who does CarCast with Adam Carolla and does um, Shift and Steer with Brad Franshaw, Franshaw and uh, excuse me, and Aaron Hagar. He asked about um, the Steve McQueen Mustang that sold for three point seven four million dollars, I believe, after fees. Um, and he said, was it worth it? And I defended it. I said, well, you figure $20,000 for the Mustang, 67 Fastback that's beat up and needs rest- restored, but it does run and drive. Kind of. <laughs> and, I'm talking about the restored part, and it doesn't <laughs> need to be restored. And three point. Uh, six or three point seven three eight for the Steve McQueen factor. Um, is that worth it? Well, somebody paid seventeen million dollars for a Rolex Daytona that Paul Newman wore. So the celebrity factor there, compared to a Newman Daytona, just a regular Newman Daytona watch, which is a hundred hundred and fifty grand on a good day, if I remember my watch numbers correctly. His celebrity added sixteen and a half, sixteen and three quarter million dollars to a watch. So, so <laughs> what you're saying is, I need to take my 190e to a vinyl shop, have them put in about eight inch, no, about twelve inch tall letters, Senna, from the front fender down the front, or from the fender down to the front door. And I need an 11 on the hood and 11 on the quarter panels and a Senna sunshade, black with white letters, says Senna. And then my 190E is... Um, quite possibly. Okay, cool. Let's do <laughs> that. Let's well, do that. <laughs> well, we've covered Sean's list on here. Uh, Derek, what did you find? I know I sent you one because you, for some reason, Sean and Derek both only did Barrett Jackson. I think there was some confusion. I meant look at any auction, but, um, but what did you, did you find anything that was interesting that you wanted to comment about there, Derek, or, you know, I, uh, or are you going to get into what, what I, I, the, the other complaint I had about this year's auctions? Well, I can get into one of the complaints, which is I didn't see a lot of stuff that was very interesting. Uh, it, it took me a while. And yes, granted, I only looked at, at Barrett Jackson and I evidently messed up the homework for this week. Sorry, teacher. Um, but there's not a lot. And of course, for me, I'm 
I'm one who's going to be looking at the horseless carriage, brass era, classic era stuff that's coming up. It's what I collect. It's, it's more the world that I go to auctions to look at, possibly bid on, so on and so forth. And Barrett Jackson's not the place that Derek goes to. Derek should be be at the uh, Bonhams and RM auctions. And yeah, but I can't some, afford those. And for some crazy, well, actually, I shouldn't say that because the the one car I bought at auction was through RM. So, so. and uh, which which brings me to a point I wanted to make: auctions can be very good for people to go to, and especially people getting into the hobby. Because that was actually my first antique car that i purchased which is the 1917 overland uh the model 90 roadster i have i got it for a reasonable price yes it's a basket case and we're getting close to having the restoration finished it's it's should be done this year fingers crossed um life got in the way i moved a lot uh but you know as as we were just talking about monday at barrett jackson for somebody that's looking for some of these cars, there are some good buys, as Sean pointed out. But overall, I mean, yeah, John, you sent me one that I evidently had, you know, I didn't see because I didn't look at Russo. Uh, but there wasn't a lot. There was one really cool car, although can I complain about uh, the auction sites like you did in the first part, John, because... <laughs> I, I decided to share these things to myself. You know, the the lots that I found I was interested in, I decided to hit the share button and email them to myself. Well, they put the uh, web address in the subject line. And of course, now that it has come to my email box, I can't click on it. They didn't put it in the body of the email where I could click on it and go to the actual lot. Rather, they just put it in the title, uh, the subject line, and you can no longer click on it. It says a hyperlink. So smooth move there. Uh, but there was one that I did find that I'm really interested to see what it will sell for because it is one of the, I believe it was five, 1954 Taylor Aero cars ever built which of course was the flying car made by uh, taylor the taylor company back in uh the the early mid 50s um, right around 54 i don't remember when they built all five i think they'd stretched them out over a couple of years but I'm, I'm extremely interested to see what that one does because there's not a lot of flying cars left in existence that that are out there so that one piqued my interest a little bit and of course any of the classic era cars will pique my interest because well I have some classic era cars and I like to watch what the market's doing on those I'm literally scrolling through Barrett while we're talking right now looking for those classic era cars that you love Derek there's nothing <laughs> yeah, there's, I found um, three I have a let's see what did I get uh, well, that's actually a brass era. Uh, th another interesting car coming up at Barrett, I think it's on Saturday, is a 1918 Kissel Model 38 Touring car. Uh, that's interesting because that's, of course, pre the famed Kissel Gold Bugs, which sell for big, big money because there's not a lot of them out there. Uh, but that'll be an interesting one to see that Kissel name go across and see what it brings. But 
they do have a 31 Cadillac V12 Phaeton going up. They've got a 26 Packard 443 Phaeton and a 34 Packard 12 convertible. So uh, that was about the only three I found uh, that were really kind of true full classic era uh, automobiles. Yeah, I, I'm looking through right now, and the only yeah, I, I there's there's some mid 30s stuff that I've that I've scrolled across, um, but man, there's just there's nothing like 1920 and back. Like you said, there's three. That's yeah. that's it. That's where do where do you go to find that stuff? Obviously, it's not Barrett Jackson. So like, I guess it'd be cool to know like if if we have some folks listening that want to find those pre 1920s or, you know, 1920 and back cars, what's, what's the auction to go to, or is there one? Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. If I share my secrets, I mean, come on. Oh, like, I, like I, I said, I, when I was going through Bonham's, I apologize. Bonham's and RM had really quite a few. Yeah. You know, that's, and, those are the two big ones. And okay. Russo kind of amazed me. They had a, a lot of um, everyday cars. They really had to me, nothing over the top um and i mean i i like drew and this is not slamming drew or anything but um really out of the whole his whole auction this year he had a 1919 chevrolet which i sent to Derek. um Derek, i believe owns something well same year but definitely not as modified uh he has an original 62 myers manx he has an 85 Lamborghini Countach um, LP5000 QV. Uh, and the only reason I even click that as a thing of interest is it's, to me, one of the, it's a the pretty style Countach. It doesn't have all the wings and everything. No big root wing on the back. It's a white car. It's, you know, probably the way I'd like to have my Lamborghini. And that was just, oh, that, that, that would be... Um, I uh, clicked a 2004 Chevrolet Corvette, and that's not because of me. Uh, that's because I have a client who um, has one, and I'm trying, you know, just basically watching it. And then um, the coolest one he had, and here I am, Radwood, etc. They have a 1989 Mercedes-Benz 560 SEC widebody. Um you know, and I've you know I've always been a fan of that of that car. The only thing that's wrong with this one is it's not an AMG. Uh, you know the thing's got you know it's completely restored, thirty two thousand miles, carbon fiber body panels now, um, bumpers, uh, gray zebra wood. It says uh, that's that's my car. Uh, Momo steering wheel, uh, period correct Recaros. Um, oh yeah. That's my car. <laughs> you know, coil over suspension, big brake kit. Uh, so that one hasn't sold yet, uh, according to Russo. Saturday, 9.15 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. Really amazes me, too, that if you go to Russo's site, every single one of the cars has like a 15 or 20-minute window that they're going to sell in, which, I guess, brings me to another problem I have with auctions. It's three minutes and out. And that's pretty much the way auctions run. You better get all the money. They'll get. They're going to try to get all the money they can in three minutes for you. Now, granted, if you're running, you know, maybe a McLaren Senna or 
you know, something that's going to be big dollars. Um, a P1 McLaren, I, I saw both of those are going up for auction. Maybe it'll hang around a little bit if the money gets a little bit big, or a Duesenberg, or uh, some of that stuff. But I think it, you know, I would kind of be bothered if you're telling me, here's the window your car is going to sell. As a, a buyer, yeah, I absolutely love that you're going to do that and tell me when I need to be there and leave the bar and be able to get to your auction. But, is that when it's is that what's gonna that window is when it's gonna be coming across the block or literally they hammer it and it's done like if there's if there's an ongoing uh, if it's ongoing bidding they'll continue that but when you say reserve you know that's met reserve at fifty thousand and the car is fifty five thousand and we're going fifty five fifty five fifty five five fifty five five fifty six fifty six fifty six they're they're gonna keep going. But if it's we're at fifty six fifty six, do I hear fifty seven, do I hear fifty seven? You're gonna get about twenty seconds of that. And then when that three minute window rolls, the car rolls. And I don't you know, that may or not be fair. Um you know I mean if it's if it stalls in that environment though, it's kinda done, right? Because, I mean you anybody that's gonna phone in a bid is is on the phone for that car. They know when it's coming across and anybody that's in the audience that wants that car they're there, right? Like, I, isn't that just part of the auction experience that you now, expect? If, if, you, no? if you watch enough of them, I, I personally feel that some cars do get rushed off the stage, that there's a little bit of activity. There might be a little bit more in the room, that there's a bidder that, you know, may or may not be on the fence, and he's ready to go, but, you know, he's kind of thinking, is my wife going to kill me or, you know. Probably. <laughs> they're all thinking that. Well, if it's a male, they're all. If it's a male that's married, they're all thinking that. Even if the wife is as much of an enthusiast as they are, typically, typically, I would think. Well, I guess I've never suffered from that guilt, but that might explain my relationship histories. But <laughs> we won't go into that. Another one. We'll go, we'll go out to dinner and talk about that with the wives. Another one that surprised me, and this is their first time in uh, Scottsdale, is the Leak Auction. And uh, it's an auction house that's been around for years. They recently merged with the Ritchie Brothers Auction House. And here's a complaint on them I go to Leaky, or Leak, L L E A K E, um, website, search Scottsdale. And click to see their inventory. It takes me to the Ritchie Brothers Iron Planet auction site. Uh, Ritchie Brothers Auctions and the Iron Planet auction site, they auction industrial vans, bulldozers, you know, rock crawlers, land movers. Um, it's all industrial equipment. I don't want to be there. I'm sorry. That's that first of all rubs me the wrong way is you've taken me away from your site and you're really nowhere here on this site does it say leak um you know it, it you, you i think you it's just poor website design a web you know you're selling a couple million dollars in cars at least go to godaddy and create your own website i mean don't it's just i think it's hor you know yeah, don't set it up as a as an old school bulletin board that runs off a of whatever baud modem. That, that'd yeah. be that's a bad idea. Yeah. So I'm just I'm just kind of uh, amazed that that's how their um, you know site operated. Um, you know, Gooding only had 
two cars that kind of interested me, and one was kind of the Tucker. They've got a 48 Tucker 48 um, selling, and that goes back to our conversation, Sean, celebrity cars. Um, would the Tucker and Derek, maybe what's your what's your feeling on this? And it's something that, you know, gets discussed. Um, would the Tucker be the collectible it is? I mean, the auction estimate, I'm not, the auction estimate's what, 1.75 to 2.25. Um, would the Tucker be a, a million dollar car if it wasn't for the movie and being the star of that movie? I mean, that's... Oh, I, I think it... I I think it it would be and should be. Uh, Preston Tucker was an interesting figure in the automotive industry. Uh, some of his ideas were far ahead of their time, and the the limited limited number of those vehicles, uh, you know. And of course, I I always have a hard time with that because. I have a hard time understanding how vehicles become so um, expensive and how they become so highly valued sometimes. Uh, but it is, it, from my perspective, it, it is a car that has a strong historical provenance. There's a story there with each one. There's, you know, there's a lot of historic value to those cars. So I see where the value in those cars exist. Does yeah, that I answer think, your question? I think it should be, but it wouldn't be without the movie. The, the general public just wouldn't know. I think, you're, again, I think your diehard collector would, would be aware, but I think it would be, you know, I, I believe it would be a high six-figure car. I believe, like we just talked with the uh, Steve McQueen Mustang, I think there's, say, $700,000, $8,000 for the car. And and in the case of this one, if you went with a $2 million sale price, which is right in the middle of the estimate, $1.2 million for the celebrity factor of the movie. Um, and this car actually is supposed it was used in the movie. So it, it is a camera car, on-screen car with that history. So I think, you know, you get some of that celebrity factor, but that's just kind of, you know, I, I respect Tucker for his engineering and uh, what he did and what his thought process was. And he did the, you know, really the impossible. I mean, but I think other people have tried it and kind of have failed. I mean, if another car that I have here, um, where is it? be rm has it has a uh yeah um a vector you know they built 10 or 12 vectors so yeah it's a fifth of the car that the tucker was but the vector's never been in a movie uh but the vector is kind of just as cutting edge to the supercar world as the tucker was i mean the tucker had mechanical problems the vectors had mechanical problems the vectors were cutting edge on styling the Tucker's for cutting edge on styling. I mean, there's, to me, some similarities. A Vector, you know, the original Vector, uh, was it the WH, W4s, I can't remember. Um, you know, they used 
um, switches out of F-15 fighter, you know, fighters and stuff. So, they, you know, Jerry Wiegland, I believe, is the guy's name who ran Vector. But these cars, you know, they're finally getting a little bit of traction. But, you know, these cars are low six-figure cars. If we came out and we did a, you know, movie, you know, America's Supercar and highlighted the Vector and we put, you know, Brad Pitt in it or... Um, uh, who was ever? Uh, I don't watch a lot of movies. I don't know who who's who's a big star right now, uh, but throw somebody in there and it becomes a hit movie. Are all of a sudden Vector is going to jump up to that million, million and a half dollar price? Yeah, just let Ryan Reynolds lean on it in a gin commercial. Yeah, exactly. You know, one of seventeen production yeah. examples of the W eight twin turbo. So they probably built about forty of all the models of Vector. And that's potentially, I. It's arguably, I think the Vector is arguably the first hypercar. It was, it was at least the first car that shot for that. I don't know whether they really got there, but they shot for for that level of ridiculous. You know, I've kind of always loved the Vector, but that's, I. You know, I'm an oddball guy. I like the oddball car. <laughs> so. I had a Vector on my wall when I was. Yeah, I, I had I had a vector on my wall. It was a red W two with the black louvers on the back and stuff. Now this one is probably the one I would want. It's a ninety one. This one, if anybody wants to look it up, it's a lot two thirteen at RM. I know it'll have sold by the time you see it. So Can we look this. that up by lot number? Because I hear that, uh, that always yes, people RM will actually let you do that by lot number. Okay, that's great. Um, and it's a purple one, and I'm I love purple. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, any anybody that's that thought it was a good idea to take switches out of out of an F fifteen and put them in a car, more power to them. They're my hero. That's yeah. that's not a bad thing. And you're talking about cars that are just selling for bonkers money that you can't understand. I'm trying to wrap my brain around uh, F body Chevys. And Fox Body Mustangs right now, like they, the Fox Body Mustang in particular is a car. Like I'm, I'm looking at auction prices on these things, and they're just. I would love another Fox Body at some point in time. I've always wanted a Celine Notchback, but my God, man, like it's they're sixty plus thousand dollar cars now, if not more. And I'm looking at a ninety Camaro, a ninety IROC. Now, granted, this is a 1LE IROC, and it's only, there were only 62 of those cars made in 1990. I get that, it, that it's a rare car. It's really low mileage. But this 1990 Camaro sold for $54,000. Are you, are you still talking uh, Barrett-Jackson? Yeah. Numbers? But well, we're going to go Radwood. And, I, and I'll be honest, when I was in high school, funny. as much as I loved my CRX and things like that, there was a little bit of me that kind of wanted, you know, the doctor's kids Mustang. We had two kids with Mustang GTs, you know. Uh, I didn't go to an extremely wealthy school, but we were the on, on the higher end. Uh, you know, that or, you know, I remember, you know, a friend of mine, he had, he had his IROC Z. You know, and they were kind of cool cars back then. So there were a lot, a lot of people. I mean, it's that I want to say one of those cars in high school, now they can go back and buy them. Just like six, I've never understood, and I'm sorry, Sean, I know you've owned one. I've never understood 67 to 69 Camaros. They don't make sense to me. 
even the Firebirds and that. I've never once had the motivation to own one of those cars. God, you know, I love my. You know, yeah, you could on. give it to oh, me. Firebird. And, and Firebird's I, way better than the Camaro. And I would sell it as fast as I could. Oh, <laughs> but and, and that's kind of the same thing. I always wondered why are people paying this much money for those? And I wish I still had mine. I mean, mine started life as a basket case six cylinder and ended up a not necessarily like a Z twenty eight clone, but I had SS stripes on it and we had some crazy motors on it and centerline auto drags and gutted interior and aluminum door panels and pro buckets and it was just it was just a, a weird teenage build car, but it was my first car. Um, and that car, like I, I think about that car and the money that we had in it. We had more money in the paint job than we had in everything else in the car. It was ridiculous paint job for the time. And it was beautiful. But at the end of the day, it was a six cylinder Camaro that we turned into in the eighties. It would run high twelves, um, low thirteens, high twelves with the last motor we put in it. And that was pretty quick for what it was. It was never anything ridiculous, but now if that car was in that shape, it'd be a $50,000 car. And that I don't understand. Like I, and I don't know whether I don't understand that because I'd like to have another one because it was my first car. And at 50 grand, I can't justify that. Or is it really just a bonkers number that doesn't make sense to anyone? And no one understands why they're selling for that. I, I don't know. Chime in, someone help me out. I, I gotta go with the. It's like I said, there are cars out there that are selling for prices that I don't understand. It's like you said. I mean, there are just some cars that I sit and and watch them sell or look at auction estimates on and think, where did anyone come up with that number for that car? But then there's also cars out there that I sit back and think, well. For that car, that price is one heck of a steal. So uh, maybe I'm just off my rocker on what is worth money right now. But, of course, I'm biased to the uh, – I, well, I guess I'll say I, I am probably biased to the, you know, historical value of the vehicle over, uh, you know, a 100-point – Concours restoration or, you know, uh, again, uh, let's go with, you know, a 1967 to 69 Camaro that has a paint job that looks like a brand new Toyota that just rolled out of the factory, which is not even close to what those cars looked like when they came out of the factory. Right. Uh, you know, that to me, it makes the car worth less in my opinion, but you're coming at it from a different angle there, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a car collector that has a billion dollars to go out and spend whatever I want on a car. I'm a car collector enthusiast that works in the nonprofit world and has to carefully spend my money on affordable cars like Chevrolet 490 touring cars. So, so if you were in the market for a 69 a nice 69 Camaro, would you rather have a nicely kept patinaed 69 Camaro or would you rather have a Concorde restored 69 Camaro? Can we make it a Firebird? No. We're talking about Camaros. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just never liked. I never liked the Firebird front end. I always thought. Oh, that's so much better than the. Oh, it's just the only thing good about the Firebird was the uh, the shake. Everything. Shoot. No, the shake. The good thing about the Firebird, Pontiac at least knew what they wanted their car to look like. Yeah, you exactly. know, there's two different front clips on the, the Camaro. We want big headlights that stick out there. We want the s- silly little sliders, which are a real... The only ones that you really want were the hidden headlights. Yeah. With a little... Now, there's a story back when I was at McPherson, we had a, a 67 Camaro in that actually sold at Barry Jackson a few years later. And I spent days trying to figure out and make those headlights work. And there was a diode that had um, failed in the wire harness that isn't on any Chevrolet wiring diagram known to mankind. But you needed this little diode in there to, to get the headlight doors to, I can't remember if it was open or closed, but this stupid little diode. It took us three or four days to find it, literally tracing every wire from the headlights, headlight motors back to the switch. So, Well, hey, you learned something, didn't you? Yeah. And so to go back to to go back to Sean's question, Sean, I would take the well maintained, well kept sixty nine Camaro. Uh, sorry, it, over a restored one. I mean, my my sixty one Ford Falcon that I have is just a well maintained Falcon. Over time, it's had one repaint. Uh, I think the the seats have had a, a new interior stretched over them, but you know everything else is pretty much all original in the car, and I love that car. My nineteen nineteen Chevy, or, my nineteen nineteen Chevy, the four ninety, it had a okay restoration done probably sometime in the nineties, and it's just been kept up, and I you know. Since I've had it, I haven't been afraid to drive it. I got it sorted out, drove it around. Yeah, granted, it's not running right now because I got to get it the leather cone clutch relined on it now. But that's what happens when you drag race Ford Model Ts. The what? But uh, cone clutch, leather faced cone clutch. Leather faced clutch. Yeah. Okay. I don't like. I said I don't live in that world, but leather and clutch are two yeah. things that I have literally never heard in the same sense as a meshed product. I, oh, that, yeah, it works great. Well, I, okay, that's mind-blowing to me. You yeah. can go buy spec, you know, next week and discuss that with him. <laughs> I'd like a stage three uh, leather-faced clutch, please, and just watch them go, what? I need a yeah. stage three clutch, clutch for my Model T. Multi no model model T's don't have leather. They're model, they've got model they've A. Got, nope, model model A is a, a typical clutch. You, uh, cone leather cone clutches are uh, model T's didn't have them because model T's are essentially an automatic transmission that's manually okay. controlled. I've um, literally never driven one. I'd love to. Yeah, well, you know, we gotta we gotta get working on that, but. Uh, yeah, leather leather face cone clutches were. I mean, my Overland has one. The Chevys had them. Locomobiles. I, uh, most of the early cars. That was how they were making them work. So, uh, Model T was very unique at the time in having the type of transmission it had. I would imagine if I spent any amount of time with you at all, my brain would explode. Like, what do you think? And- Will, Will's no longer on the show. I mean, he's. <laughs> <laughs> Will's like leather faced what? 
Leather, he was that was a bad guy in a movie. Yeah, that's true. That yeah. is true. Your clutch has a chainsaw that it literally attacks the pressure plate with. Did I just throw us off course really bad there? No, I, got, don't know. I just got really usually just wait for John to bring it back around. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I was going to say uh, you need to check out Bonhams there, Derek. Uh, I'll send you the article about how they had a lot of po- uh, pre-war, uh, excuse me, pre-war uh, American and European automobiles. Uh, supposedly, uh, let's see here, a whole collection from Philip somebody Reed, I believe it was, it's collection. I lost my tab that had it. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, Philip Reed collection of Southern California featuring 16 automobiles, most of which are pre-war American and European. Uh, mm. The entire collection is to be offered with no reserve. Reed was a well-known and respected collector. Uh, in the collector car world, particularly as an active member and uh, former president and board director of the Horseless Carriage Club of America. Okay, his, I, I know I've, I've, the name sounds familiar, but... Um, his collection includes such brass-era rarities as the 1901 Winton that he bought from Gene Autry and the fascinating 1902 Boyer, the only one of its kind known to exist. Oh, Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, so, I know both those cars. So yeah. uh, there, there's your auction you need to be at is uh, Bonham's. I guess so. <laughs> and believe Except it or I not, can't, I can't afford what Bonham sells. And believe it or not, I found that link on uh, <laughs> looking at a Kona, Kona Sig CCX. So <laughs> <laughs> that makes perfect sense. So I hear that's what uh, that's what Koenigsegg's going to next. There's the the leather faced clutch definitely is coming back. I think they use that. They use the leather face clutch in the Jesco. It's actually, it's actually, from what I understand, a a leather cotton carbon fiber weave. <laughs> leather cotton composite. That's wonderful. Because why? I, and honestly, if anyone can make that work, if Christian von Koenigsegg is listening to this podcast, and we know you are Christian, we dare you to make that work. You're you're kind of joking, but um, I'll leave uh, point number one quiet. Point number two is one of the guys that's a big into the Caterham Sevens and that, and I kind of kind of know him. Um, he's actually an engineer with Konasig. We'll call him. <laughs> so, call him up. Get him on the show. Yeah, get, get Christian to uh, <laughs> appear on the show. Doing a leather cotton composite clutch, and what we really want to talk to you about is your maglev valve train. I really want to talk to them about that. I'm fascinated by that whole. Thing. We've just completely derailed from auctions. I apologize. Yeah. Koenigsegg. I, I'm trying don't. to remember. I I did hear a podcast, and I I would have to do some digging that Christian was on, and he kind of discussed that valve train. I've I have looked at it in depth, every technical thing that I could find online, and it's yeah, sure, bring on thirty thousand RPM. I'm ready. Let's do this. It's it's amazing, amazing tech. Well, we're not going to bring it full circle tonight. We're at the hour mark. This conversation tonight, I don't think went 
any way that any any of us here expected, and probably you as a listener, but I think we had a pretty decent conversation and flowing show, with the exception of one or two awkward pauses that shall Thanks, sh- yeah, shall remain uh, because we don't do a lot of editing anymore, which has been great for uh, um, actually our, our listenership's up dramatically. Uh, we are consistently ranking um, in the top 250 podcasts in the U.S. And for some crazy reason, we're ranked automotive podcasts, put it uh, not all podcasts, but automotive category. And for some crazy reason, we're hovering in the mid 20s for automotive podcasts in um, Canada. You know why? All right. Because <laughs> Canadians, those Canadians. Canadians love 69 Camaros, they love them. Love them. I don't know if we've mentioned a 69 Camaro on this show ever. <laughs> Yeah, we probably get ready to crack the top ten. Well, wait, what? It, what? What year's Tony's? Uh, yeah, I guess Tony did discuss his. We we did talk about Camaros with Tony. Almost so. ironically, we did talk to Tony almost a year ago to the day. So I'm gonna be watching the rankings, just just hoping for a spike so I can come back and go. Ha! Yeah. You see? So, but on that matter, we never ask you guys. You know, we tell you to chime in on Facebook or you know watch us on Instagram and we promise we're going to get to Twitter and that just never happens but we do never say that's really horrible English I believe and so is that but we never discuss the Apple iTunes rankings uh, it really I don't care what other podcasts tell you it doesn't help us move up the uh, the iTunes charts that's all based on downloads and things like that um, but it's always nice if you go and throw in a couple of, uh, I don't care, four-star, five-star reviews. We know we're not perfect every week, you know. We should be. I'm here every week. But, but yeah, go to, go to you know, iTunes if you listen to this on some sort of Apple device and uh, leave us a good review and um, chime in a little bit on the Facebook and uh, Instagram and let us know what's... Uh, happening uh some topic ideas we've got a really good list of topics and some really good interviews coming up will's potentially putting together some fabulous stuff um and maybe has some interesting happenings but he's hoping to we're hoping to grab a few more people out of the grand national roadster show so we'll see if will Will stays on about that um otherwise what do you guys want to close up with I'll let you go first, Derek. Well, like I, I think like I already said, seeing we're talking about auctions tonight, you know, if if you're a younger person trying to find a car uh, and, and, you know, you don't already know people in the world of whatever car you're looking for, be it antique, classic, you know, more modern Radwood type stuff, auctions you know if you're if you're smart if you're wise if you if you go do your research and you know really pay attention as we already discussed sean brought it up you know very early on in the the episode there are some good buys to be had to get yourself into the car hobby and and get yourself a car Uh, you know just just what i would say is be smart about it stick to your guns know what you're doing and uh, also, you know, pay attention to the buyer fees so you don't get hit with something you're not expecting. But 
you know, I, I encourage people to keep an eye on, on the market. You know, the auctions help set the market and, you know, it, it'll help you get into the, the car world if, if you're wise about it. And, you know, if you're already into it, you might find a great buy to add to your collection. So. I absolutely and totally agree with that. And I'm going to go ahead and give you a reprieve from my 69 Camaro talk and close with completely self-serving thing. Tomorrow at Barrett Jackson Scottsdale, there's a 1973 Volvo 1800 ES wagon oh, crossing yes. the block that has 62,000 original miles on it. It is absolutely beautiful. And it is in my top five dream cars. If anyone would like to buy that from me, <laughs> I, I would be eternally grateful. And I'll even say thank you. Um, I, I have to echo what Derek said, though. There, there are some crazy buys out there that I, I can't wrap my brain around it. I can't wrap my brain around what I saw going through the Barrett-Jackson site because that's what I looked at. But um, if Monday and Tuesday is truly, typically, if, it, if it's trended, the way that John is saying that it's trended, and I think Derek, you brought it up too. I didn't realize. I thought Barrett, because the only time I've ever been at Barrett Jackson was either out in the parking lot somewhere doing thrill rides with S uh, with SRT, or after the thrill rides, I've come in on like a Friday Saturday night and watched the high dollar stuff. I didn't have any barometer for the bargains that are out there, and it's pretty mind blowing, man. Uh, I, it's it's pretty mind blowing. It makes me want to sort of flip a couple of the cars that I have in the garage and and go look for some new stuff because I'm that guy. I get I get cardboard very easily, and uh, I have a carological clock. I don't know if y'all. I, I imagine y'all both have those, and mine is mine's ticking. Bad. Time for something new. And I I've always said I, I I'm not a big proponent of buying cars at auctions. I'm sorry, I'll, every auction house out there. I'm not a big proponent of that. I mean, there are certain cars you have you have no choice if it's a one-of-one. One. I mean, there, it's, you know, an 08 Kona Sig like we just talked about. Yeah, that, that, that might be where you need to go. If you want a Ford GT and Ford's not going to sell you one, they're just coming off their two-year um, ban to sell. Some of the cars are beginning to trickle out. I think I saw three of them or four of them available in Arizona this weekend. Yeah, you can go buy those there. But some of that everyday stuff, it's, it is a buyer beware. It's not always the nicest stuff in the world, no matter what they say. Uh, auction companies are used car dealers and treat them like that. Don't go in and think just because they have great TV coverage, and I'm not talking about just, you know, one of them, Barrett-Jackson, Russo, all of them, because, you know, they're reselling a car. They're giving you a venue, and they're trusting the seller, uh, to be to be honest with them. I mean, you can get a lousy car from Bring a Trailer. You can get a lousy car from eBay. You can get a lousy car from Facebook Marketplace. But what auctions do have going for them is the ability, especially if you can make it to Arizona Auction Weeks, if you are a car person, and people will talk about going to Pebble Beach and what you'll see there, and the Concours and the Monterey Car Weeks, or Amelia Island, or Hilton Head, or going to the Goodwood Festival of Speed, I honestly think 
auction weeks, Scottsdale, and in January should be on everyone's list of a, a thing to do. That should be on your bucket list because you can go to these six places. You're going to spend 300 bucks on a mission tickets between, you know, everybody. Uh, but you're going to see more cars than ever. You're going to see cars that you've never uh, discussed before. Um I think we, you know, we talked when we had Brett Hatfield on the show that I drove, uh, I can never pronounce the designer's name, the Scaglielli whatever Corvette, one of, you know, one of three. Scaglietti? Yeah, that one. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, you know, one of three produced. Where are you going to get an opportunity to see that outside of a museum? And if it's at a museum, it's probably not going to run or drive. Yeah, yes, it will. Well, the Corvette Museum, I believe, has got a new yeah. thing going on where I saw a Facebook thing about the Living Museum. Not Facebook, YouTube. Check out the Corvette National Corvette Museum YouTube page, by the way. More Mondays. And, uh, but uh, it, it's worth going to. Uh, you can get some deals there, but you also can uh, do yourself some harm and get caught up in the excitement. I, I know people who have had both happen to them. Uh, and sometimes the excitement gets really costly, no matter how much money's in the bank. But and if you really love low production, like low production number cars, John, I, I know where you can drive a one of four only wide body 84 Lawrence or Mercedes to come to the States. I know where you can drive it. Well, I'm going to kind of say here, I, I have a, uh, or one of one, uh, Cadillac wide body in the driveway. So. Did that make you feel good to one up me there? Did it make you feel really good? Uh, yes. I, actually, yeah, John, John, yeah. if I remember right, you don't have it in the driveway. That's very no, true. No, actually, actually very true. I do have it in the driveway. It's not my car, but <laughs> <laughs> it is in the driveway. Part right next to my base Fusion SE. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which, it's a turbo, though. Um, yeah, my my little turbo. You ought to see the turbo on the Cadillac. <laughs> but we'll talk about that sometime. We'll get we'll get Zara on here to talk about her. Uh, uh, I call it the. I really want her to get the license plate ATS EMA because it was an ATS that was shown at SEMA. So, <laughs> but I like it. We'll. Uh, with that and getting way off track of the auctions and that again, um, I'm out of here tonight. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Remember, always keep your eyes out open at the auctions because you never know when you might find a Zamboni. <laughs>